Well, I don't know if you noticed, but um, <clears throat> in our scripture reading this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, the Apostle Paul is saying to this church, he's saying, you know, you don't need to be taught how to live again. You're already doing it. But, he says, there's still room for more, more and more. He says, do what you're doing, but do it more, more and more. And then he says, and nobody has to really teach you to love one another because you're already doing that, but there's still room for you to love more and more, right? More and more, like going forward. And so uh, this morning, I thought, uh, we've been talking, you know, kind of about the Lord's return, and it's been kind of technical here and there, and I thought we'd just kind of maybe take a break from that and just do a a New Year's kind of thing. And um, I'd, I'd like to just invite you to think about what more and more might be for you in the coming year, in 2024, more and more in 24. Uh, what does the scripture uh, mean when it says, you know, you're already doing this and you've been taught this, but you could do this more and more. And I think New Year's is uh, really an ideal time to kind of reflect on our relationship with God and just kind of ask ourselves, you know, where are we at in our relationship with him? And... Um, Uh, just even the idea that a divine human relationship could happen, right, comes from God, starts with God, starts with a God who created people to be like himself, in his own likeness, in his own image. He made us so that we could, in fact, relate to him. And uh, it, it started with God. God created us that way, and now he's reaching out to us, um, the God of the universe is speaking. He's not a silent God. And I want to suggest to you that he um, speaks through creation. He speaks through our conscience. Um, he speaks through the Bible, obviously. He speaks through Jesus. He speaks through other believers to one another. And uh, he speaks through what happens to us, uh, our circumstances as we go throughout life. Uh, And I want to suggest this morning that the Christian life is really a love affair of the heart. It's a love affair of the heart. It's not primarily a set of principles or a moral code or a to-do list, although all of that is there. It's not about correct doctrine, although that's the foundation. But here's what's number one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's what Jesus said is number one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? But with your heart, first of all. Christianity's a love affair of the heart. And I want to suggest to you that uh, from time to time, you know, uh, we read things in the scripture that really grab us, and they grab us at a level that's deeper than just our heads. Uh, It grabs us at our hearts. And... um, You know, God says, you can only love me if I love you first. You can't start a relationship with God without letting God love you the way he wants to love you. You can only love God because he first loves us, right? And so all of us have, you know, a heart. We have a a kind of an outer life and an inner life, and uh The Bible says in Proverbs, part of wisdom is above everything else, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of your life. Whatever you give your heart to 
becomes your identity and it becomes the place out of which we live. Guard your, above everything else, guard your heart. Don't give your heart away easily, you know, because it's the wellspring of our life. And so um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul, you know, writes to the Corinthian church and he says, so we do not lose heart, okay? Though our outer nature, the outside, is wasting away, our inner nature, our hearts, are being renewed day by day. Our outer nature is winding down, but our inner nature, our spiritual life, our relationship with God is winding up and is going, is getting better and better the older we get. It becomes more and more meaningful as we uh, spend more and more time in our relationship with God. And so uh, God, when he speaks to us, speaks at a heart level. So in the Bible... Uh, there are a number of metaphors that God uses to describe our relationship to him. And I want to suggest to you this morning that if you take those metaphors and sort of put them in an ascending order, uh, you can sort of figure out where am I in my relationship with God? Is God does God have the freedom to move me from uh, wherever I am to more and more, because he has more and more relationship for us, right? He wants us to have this uh, deep relationship with him. And so uh, I want to suggest to you that we just think about this for a couple of minutes. Uh, So, for example, um, God says, I think at the bottom of the totem pole, God says, you know, I'm the potter and you're the clay, right? You remember that? I'm the potter and you're the clay. Uh, Back in Isaiah, uh, chapter 64 and verse 8, here's what the Lord says. But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. I'm the potter, God says, you're the clay. I'm the potter, you're the clay. Now, you can take this to heart and say, wow, that's pretty exciting. I am the product of God working on me. He's the potter. I'm the clay. He's shaped my life up to this point in time. He's had a hand in who I am. And you can say, whoa, this is really exciting, and go to a place like Psalm 139 where it explains further how God actually does some of these kinds of things and shapes us to be the people that we are. Or you can say, I'm sorry, God, but I don't believe you. I'm going to stiff arm you and keep you at an arm's length distance. My life is the result of my choices and my doing and my efforts and my abilities and all the rest of it, and you've had nothing to do with it, right? And you can do that, and then, um, you know, here's what God would say to you if you're that second person. Uh, God says, I'm in uh, Isaiah chapter 29, uh, you guys turn things upside down, God says. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay and the thing made say to its maker he didn't make me or the thing formed say to him who formed it he has no understanding God's like if you don't understand this that I'm the potter and you're the clay and you're the product of my you know efforts in your life um, you've got things upside down the pot doesn't say to the potter 
you know, what's going on. The potter dictates to the clay uh, what's happening. And so, uh, and then I say, watch out, because um, in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah is told to go down and observe a potter. And in chapter 18 of Jeremiah, so I went down uh, to the potter's house, and there the potter was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to do. If you resist God, if you fight God, if you refuse to acknowledge the potter, uh, he can just kind of crush where you're at and start over again. And, uh, you know, you put yourself through uh, some uh, tough times. Now, I know it's not very flattering to think of yourself as a lump of clay, all right? I know that's not very flattering, Um, but, you know, uh, if you just go to Genesis 2, we're told that we're pretty much made out of the dust of the ground, right? And so uh, it's not far from where we started, and we start out, and, uh, you know, if you think about yourself as a lump of clay, uh, you're basically spinning in circles, going no place, and you've got nothing to offer. A piece of clay is nothing without the potter. Right? And I'm saying this is the lowest level of relationship. And so uh, when you think about it, if I'm uh, a person that's, you know, and you can think about yourself as to where you're at, but think about the people you know, some of your friends, some of your family, some of your neighbors, you know. Their life is sort of spinning in a circle, You know, they're not even alive. Clay isn't even alive, right? It's just a lump of dirt. It's spinning in a circle. It's going no place. It has nothing to contribute. And uh, so, you know, but maybe that lump of clay, uh, your friend, your neighbor, yourself, you're starting to have some problems. And uh, maybe it's financial. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's emotion. Maybe it's relationships, you know. And um, you're starting to wonder what in the world is going on in my life. Because things are getting tough, you know. And could it be that the potter is squeezing you? Could it be that the potter is poking as you spin around and messing with your life? Could it be that the potter is trying to get your attention? Could it be that the potter actually sees something in the clay that reminds him of himself that he's going after to bring out to the surface? The good news is there's a potter. The bad news is we're just a piece of clay when we first start out. We don't even have a relationship until the potter comes. And uh, until you recognize that it's God and respond to uh, this um, poking and squeezing, the clay is nothing without the potter. Now, suppose you have a friend, right, and they're having some real, some God's maybe squeezing them, like I said, financially or health-wise or whatever, and you suggest to them, hey, have you ever thought that God's maybe trying to get your attention? Maybe God has a plan for your life. And, he, and you're not paying any attention to him, you know. And you're just thinking that your life is your own and there's no potter. There's no rhyme or reason behind your life. And God starts to mess with people and, uh, because he has a life he wants to give you. And again, maybe you know somebody like that and you have the opportunity to speak into their life and suggest that they look uh, to a potter who's maybe trying to make something. And when you cooperate, when you turn 
and look to God and say, well, maybe, maybe I believe that God is messing. God is allowing these things to happen for a reason and, and so on. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, we begin to change. Um, could it be that the potter is actually messing with the clay? And if we cooperate with God at this level, uh, if the clay recognizes it's God poking at me or cutting me, or, and if I yield to him, and if I believe that he's got a hand in my life, you know, God starts to make something out of our life. He starts to point us in a direction. He starts to shape us and so forth. And we start to change. And our relationship with God starts to change. You might say that the next level uh, beyond the potter and the clay is that God comes to us and he says, I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep. I'm the shepherd, right? We know that. The 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I want for nothing. Um, Sheep at least, you know, have some life. I mean, not much. They're pretty dim animals, right? Uh, But they have a little bit of life in them. And uh, a sheep is not very intelligent, not very graceful, not very strong. You know, uh, I like to say uh, I can't think of a single athletic team that chooses a sheep for their mascot. I mean, we got lions, we got the broncos, we got even dolphins, and we even have a team called the ducks. But nobody is the sheep, you know? Because why? Because it's not a big step from clay to sheep. It's really not that big of a step. Uh, But, you know, a sheep is totally lost without a shepherd. Just like the clay is absolutely nothing without a potter, a sheep is totally lost without a shepherd. And so in the 23rd Psalm, when we look at the 23rd Psalm, uh, it's pretty interesting. The shepherd does everything for the sheep. All the sheep can do is follow, right? Listen to this. The shepherd specifically does four things for the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, I don't want, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, the shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. He feeds me. He answers my questions. He speaks to me. You know, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He brings peace into my life. He makes peace between uh, himself and me. He looks after me. He uh, answers my questions. He satisfies my thirst. He restores my soul. He, the shepherd, restores my soul. I can now start to believe and think and feel and act because of my soul is being restored to what it was uh, meant to be originally. I start to come alive at a soul level, at a heart level. And he, the shepherd, leads me in paths of righteousness for his own name's sake. He teaches me how to live. He shows me which way to go. He, he, takes, he does everything. All I have to do is follow. You know? I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. Uh, he has a plan for me. And um, I think it's so neat when you think about this uh, that if we cooperate with the shepherd at this level, if we cooperate with God, uh, we get our soul back. It's a gift. The shepherd restores our soul. And our life begins to expand. Uh, even, though I realize, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, I, I'm not worried about it. I don't fear that anymore. Because why? Because my life expands way beyond the 100 years or so that I'm here. All of a sudden, I'm ushered into eternity. He restores my soul. My soul is made to last forever. My soul is made in the image of God. 
And, uh, and then he goes on. He says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because of God's grace, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow. That's a big step, right? Uh, wow. Uh, all of a sudden, God's my shepherd, and I'm a sheep, and I begin to come into all these benefits, and it's all because of the shepherd. It's all a gift to us, and our heart begins to uh, come to life. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, you know, if your hope in Christ is only for this life, you are of all people most to be pitied. If you don't have in perspective eternal life and understand that this life is a little prelude to our eternal life that's uh, waiting for us on the other side of what we call death, uh, you are of all people most to be pitied. That's not what Christianity is about. Um, I don't know. Um, when I was a kid, um, I couldn't spell. I don't know why. I don't know what my problem was, but I had a difficult time spelling. And, uh, you know, they'd have spelling bees, of course, in class. And I was always the last one picked. And every once in a while, a kid would say, do we have to take DeVries, you know? And I would feel like, you know, I hate this. I hate spelling bees. I had to go to the bathroom when spelling bees, you know, uh, when it was time for that, you know. And then I read in the Bible that the shepherd has gone to prepare a place for me. That means so much to me. Uh, Barbara and I did a wedding one time, and uh, the people invited us to the reception. So we do the wedding, we go to the reception, and there's no place for us. Everybody's got a name tag, where they're going to sit and everything, the whole place, and there's none for us, right? And so it's just an oversight, I'm sure. But, you know, they're talking to the people in the restaurant or whatever. They're making a big deal about it. Everybody's got to move. We got to get more chairs. We got to... Oh, I just wanted to go home, you know? And uh, here's the Lord says, listen, I'm preparing a place for you on the other side of this life. I think how great that is. And then uh, if you go to the New Testament in John uh, chapter 10, uh, you know what Jesus says? I'm the good shepherd. I'm not just a shepherd. I'm the good shepherd in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know what the essence of goodness is? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. Uh, and you know, Jesus comes and provides, the shepherd provides, just like in the Old Testament, the shepherd provides everything for our salvation. Our whole salvation comes as a gift. Forgiveness, grace, truth, eternal life. All we have to do is receive it. Just like all a sheep has to do is follow the shepherd. And the shepherd takes care of everything. <clears throat> I'm the good shepherd. Uh, you're the sheep. And Jesus takes on our bad. He takes on our stubbornness, our ignorance, you know. Our rebellion, uh, he takes on our self-centeredness, our sin, and he dies in our place. He does everything for us. He's the good shepherd. We're the sheep. We're the beneficiaries of his life and his death. And we're helpless, just like sheep. We can't save ourselves. We can't. We, we owe a debt we could never pay. 
and Jesus steps in and pays it for us. He's the only person who didn't have any sin of his own. And uh, if we yield to God at the sheep level, it seems to me, if we trust the shepherd, if we follow the shepherd, if we recognize the shepherd's superiority, if uh, in your heart you're actually grateful to have a shepherd, have a savior, and you realize your own limitations, well, you know what? You begin to love God back for being willing to be our savior. And this relationship of the heart starts to come to life a little bit. A relationship starts to uh, build. And there's a sort of intimacy that develops. In John chapter 10, where uh, Jesus says, you know, I'm the good shepherd, uh, here's a, a couple other verses from that same chapter. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name. This isn't just a God who's off in space someplace. This is a God who's now getting personal. I'm the shepherd, and I know each one of my sheep, and I know them by name, and I call them by name. I speak to them on a personal level. And there's a relationship that starts to develop. And he leads them out, and when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. There's a relationship that's developing. It's more than potter and clay. It's sheep and shepherd, and uh, it's starting to happen. It's starting to, uh, this relationship is starting to develop if we yield to him as our shepherd. Now, there's no idea of equality here. This is still God, the infinite, with us, the finite, you know, and it's remarkable that God would want to have a relationship and make provision so that we could have a relationship Uh, But where God's heart touches our heart, the possibility of a heartfelt relationship begins to develop. And he knows our name, and we know his voice, and we hear him when he speaks, and we're off into a kind of love story that's developing here. Somebody is reaching out to us, God, and some of us are responding and recognizing what he's doing. And it's really the story behind everybody's story. Uh, Now, I want to suggest that some people never get beyond this level in their relationship with God. They're happy to have God do everything, and they don't do anything. And they're just like a sheep, you know, they just follow along, and they just let God do everything, and God's the good shepherd, and so on and so forth. Some people never get past this level, uh, but you know what? Stuff happens to sheep. Uh, sometimes tragedy strikes sheep, sometimes fear gets into sheep, sometimes sheep get killed by uh, animals that are their enemies and so forth. And so, uh, and then the sheep starts to wonder, like, I wonder if I can really trust this shepherd. I wonder why did the shepherd let this happen to me? Can I trust that he's actually working all things together for good in my life when this very bad thing happens to the sheep? And some people just live right there and never get past that, never make the commitment to say, I'm going to trust my shepherd. It's God. And even when the bad things come into my life, I'm going to trust that he has a purpose for it and he means it for good for me and I'm going to trust him. And when we do that, we grow past the shepherd and the sheep and, uh, you know, he, he, he comes to us in a different uh, level, a different capacity, a different level of relationship. And uh, when I trust him completely, I realize that God comes and says, listen, I'm the master, you're my servant. I'm the master, you're a servant. You know, I have a role for you to play. 
I have a plan, and you're part of it, and I'm going to give you the privilege. I'm inviting you to come and be a part of what I'm doing in the world that's going to last for all of eternity. And I'm inviting you to come. And if we can grow into that level of relationship and realize that God invites us to join him and that he's written us into the script that he's playing out with the world that he created and we have a part and he's given us a role to play. And we're the servant, right? And he's uh, the master. In first. uh, uh Corinthians, Paul uh, talks about this in um, 1 Corinthians 4 and uh, chapter, or the first couple of verses. I have so many places I'm jumping around, I know. Uh, But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, uh, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. If I can graduate from just receiving and I can think about that God has been at work in me to move me to a level where I can join him and I have something to give into uh, God's story of what he's doing I should regard myself then as a servant and a steward of the mysteries of God God has entrusted to me the message of the gospel which is powerful enough to save the world I'm a player I'm a part he's the master I'm the servant. Uh, Titus, uh, in the book of Titus, kind of the same idea here in chapter 2 and uh, verse 9. We read this. Slaves or servants are to be submissive to their masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative. You know, do you think of yourself as a servant? And do you think of God as your master or your Lord? You know, we talk about Jesus as Lord. The idea there is that he's the master. He's the uh, captain of the house and so forth. And a a new level of relationship. I'm a servant. He's the master. Uh, Suddenly, he's trusting me with responsibility. He's got people he wants me to talk to. He's got... uh, uh, situations that he wants me to represent him in the midst of and in these circumstances he's trusting me with responsibility it's a big step from sheep to servant and uh, I find out when I embrace this level of relationship with God that my whole past was orchestrated by God in order to enable me to play my role that he has outlined for me I find out he chose my parents you know, you ever complain about your parents? You know, my kids do. You know, they're like, but you know what? Uh, God chose the parents. And uh, from that point on, you know, uh, God, I found out that God gives gifts to people and God allows experiences in people's lives to shape them and to mold them and to get them ready for the role that he wants them to play in the future and so forth. I've been equipped and shaped to play my part And uh, there's a new level of trust and there's a new spirit inside and a new confidence and less fear and uh, more focus and a new motivation. And uh, I think of some of the parables where Jesus told the story, you know, and he said, you know, I'm going to give you some talents and uh, then I'm going to come back. And here's the possibility. You might hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? He talks about the workers in the vineyard and how they're not really treated the same way and uh, they start complaining about it. And he, you know, he, Jesus tells stories about uh, these servants. But I want to suggest a lot of people 
Christians get stuck here too. Uh, we become servants and we start working and um, you know, we just keep going. We do give everything we have. And I meet people all over the place. I say, well, what church do you go to? And they say, I don't go to church anymore. I say, why? Why? Well, you know, when I was there, there was just so much to do. I just got burned out. I couldn't take it anymore. So I just left. I don't go anyplace. I turn on the TV and watch somebody so I don't have to have any responsibility. And can I suggest that sometimes uh, when we get into that relationship with God and we understand he's our master, and a lot of conservative churches and legalistic churches and so forth lay guilt trips on people in order that you know, they might manipulate them to do what needs to be done and all of that kind of stuff, that sometimes we neglect to pay attention to our hearts. This is supposed to be uh, a, a, a romantic relationship, a love relationship of the heart. And uh, sometimes we just get so busy. It's just like in a marriage, right? You can get so busy raising kids and painting the house and cutting the grass and so forth that you don't have any time left to go on a date. And so there's another level of relationship that I believe God comes to us with. And in John chapter 15, uh, God comes along and he, he says, listen, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm the vine. You know, a branch is just an extension of the vine. Right? A branch is just an extension of the vine. And yeah, it's about being productive. It's about being fruitful. John chapter 15 is all about fruit and more fruit and making God happy and glorifying God by fruit and more fruit and so forth. But the key to bearing fruit is abiding in the vine, right? The key is our relationship with God. And when we get to that servant level and all of a sudden we wake up one day and we're like, you know, something's missing here. There's no romance in my relationship with God. There's no sense of adventure that I'm a part of what the living God is doing. There's no anticipation I'm going to be in heaven someday, you know, and we're all going to be together. And there's the excitement sort of goes out and we're just tired. We just want to go home and watch football and be done. And I don't want to talk to anybody. And I don't all that kind of stuff. You know, and God says, wait a minute. You know, I'm the vine. I'm the juice. I'm the sap that will put life in the branch and produce fruit at the other end just by you being who I've created you to be. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so there's a, a, a different level of intimacy that God invites us into of abiding. And at this level, uh, the idea of obligation starts to fade and the idea of desire starts to take place. And we like to be with the Lord and we like to be in the word and we like to spend time with him and we love to be together with other Christians and uh, you know, talk about eternal things and things above, not just things on the earth. And so when I choose to abide and enter into that relationship, I'm invited then even into a deeper relationship uh, where um, in um, Romans, uh, God comes to us and uh, he says, listen, I'm your father and you're my sons and daughters. Call me Abba, A-B-B-A, Abba. It means dad. Call me dad. Now, I'm pretty sure that our relationship, you know, with people, different people is different, but our relationship with our sons and daughters is really special, right? It's what we talk about the most. It's like the most important relationships to us. And God says, listen, you're my kids. I love you so much. 
and I've got great plans for your life and so forth. You can trust me. You can feel secure. You never have to, I'll never leave you. I'll always be there for you. You're my kids. You're my sons and my daughters. Call me Abba. Call me dad. We were in Israel a couple times, and, you know, in Israel, you hear all these little kids run around, Abba, 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 Dad, Dad, Dad. And, uh, you know, what a great level of relationship, sons and daughters. But you know what happens? Uh, Sons and daughters grow up. And uh, when sons and daughters uh, grow up, they're invited uh, even into a deeper relationship. And I want to suggest this is the next level. And... um, In John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, uh, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Because everything that the Father has revealed to me, I've revealed to you. Friendship is about intimacy. It's about uh, transparency. It's about vulnerability. It's about being able to be honest and not worry that the friendship is going to go away. But imagine this, the God of the universe coming to us and saying, I'm inviting you to get past being servants and get past even being kids and become friends with God. Abraham was called the friend of God. And Abraham is called the father of all people who live by faith in God. And so this level of relationship of friendship, imagine the Infinite God inviting you into a friendship with him. Do you think of, are you at that stage in your relationship? Do you think of yourself as God and I are friends? That would be very presumptuous if we said that first. But if God goes first in John chapter 15 and God says, I don't call you my servants anymore. Don't think of yourself like that. Think of yourself as my friends. That's a level of intimacy. That's a deeper relationship. And that's... uh, Number six, and of course, we have to have a number seven. And number seven, I would say to you, is the last relationship that Scripture talks about. uh, Revelation chapter 19, God invites us uh, to the wedding feast and says uh, to the church, you're my bride. And you know the thing about weddings uh, and marriage is that they last forever, or they're supposed to. To be an example, this one, If you're a part of the wedding feast of the Lamb, Revelation 19, uh, it will last forever. You will be secure. You will be able to relax. You will be able to know that this God who uh, took you from clay has made you into this beautiful bride that he's going to present to himself one day to be together in this gorgeous Garden of Eden-like place forever and ever and all of eternity. Now, I know I've presented these like a ladder, you know, like you just move from one to the next to the next. But, you know, we all have different areas in our life. And in some areas, we might be at different levels in our relationship with God. You know, like if you take the financial area of your life, you say to yourself, well, you know, God, you know, I have this relationship with God, but he doesn't touch my money, you know, kind of thing. Well, it's time to graduate, you know. So in the scriptures, when... Paul writes to the Thessalonian church and says, hey, this coming year, more and more. Yes, doing great. Yes, you know how to live. Yes, you know how to love. But you know what? This year, more and more. What can I do to to take the next step and get into the next level of relationship uh, in my uh, 
marriage, in my family life, in my work life, in my financial life? Uh, what can, how, what's more and more mean, you know? So two questions. Number one, where are we at? Let's ask ourselves, in this kind of chain of intimacy that God keeps drawing us into more and more, he always has more and more for us, right? We're never done. Uh, he always has more for us. And so where am I at, first of all? And then second, who do I know that I could help, that I could suggest, you know, you might be at this level, and I think God might be calling you to a different level here. And uh, you could go from this level to that level and have an intimacy with God that will free you up to be more and more the person you are. In uh, Matthew chapter 11, you know, Jesus says, yoke yourself to me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I think, you know what? That's how he wants us to live, with a, a bounce in our step and a smile on our face and a joy in our hearts that, uh, you know, the world reads and says, wow, what's different about you? And it's, of course, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the Bible. Uh, <clears throat> and I uh, really appreciate just thinking about these different metaphors that you use to describe our relationship with you. And I'm so thankful, Father, that you want to draw us uh, more and more. I mean, we're satisfied with where we're at. We're thankful that we're Christians. Uh, we know that you're in the process of changing uh, lots of things in our life. And uh, you free us up. You Give us hope, you, uh, Father, fill us with love uh, and security, and I just thank you for all those things, but help us to understand what more and more means, and uh, enable us, Father, to give ourselves to you in new and fresh ways. For Jesus' sake, we pray, amen.